0: Welcome to the Bethel Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Chris Fallotin. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit ibethel.org. Well, I just got back from Russia. Do we have any Russians in here? We love Russia. Awesome. Oh, good. God bless you. You're Russian? Oh, glad you're here. Love Russia. Russia's improving. And uh, I, I've been going there for a few years, and seeing Russia just getting better and better, and the Russian people are just wonderful people. The very first time I went to Russia, I think it was six years ago, um, I got invited to Russia to a city, I, th- I probably won't pronounce this right, don't judge me. S- something like Kroshnals. No, it's something like <laughs> It's something like that. But, and so I, it's four plane rides there. It took me, the first time I had a 12 hour layover, so it took me 37 hours to get there. And so I'm in the last plane. I'd been in the airport for 12 hours. Now in Russia, nobody speaks, like they speak as much English as we speak Russian. So once in a while you find someone that speaks English, but not very, not very often. So I'm in Moscow and I'm in, I'm waiting for this plane, the small plane that goes to Krasnos. To, uh, and uh, 12 hours and there's no one to talk to. And when you're an external processor, I don't even know what I think for 12 hours. Like, <laughs> I started talking to my hand, you know, so it's just like getting really weird, like, gonna you know, get a well, basketball and talk to it like that weird movie. So I get on the plane and I'm sitting next to somebody and, you know, this like literally, I couldn't find anyone in, in the airport who even spoke English. I got to the information booth just to try to figure out what line, because nothing's in English either. You know, don't you think every country should have everything in English? Like, tell me the gate in English. I want to know in English. I'm reading, looking at this thing. I'm like, I don't know, what's that say, you know? So anyway, and I went to the information booth. And they're like, sorry, no, no English. I'm like, oh, you're the information booth. So I get on a plane. This plane, I've been waiting for 12 hours. Little plane. It's like a two-hour flight or so. And uh, I, the, the man says, well, welcome or something, something in English. I said, oh, you speak English. He said, oh, a li- little. I said, oh, cool. So... So we took off. I said, where do you live? He says, I live in Siberia. I said, oh, well, that's one place I don't want to go. And I said, we send all our bad people to Siberia. It's kind of a joke in America. Like, you know, teasing him, and he goes, I'm from Siberia. I said, yeah, it's one place I never want to go. Anyway, he turned away, and that was the end of our conversation for the rest of So we land in Krasnoyarsk and the entire church is there, and they have a banner that says, Welcome to Siberia. And I realized that Siberia is like Shasta County, and, you know, and Koshnos is a city in the county of Siberia. And I told the guy, oh, there's no way I'm ever going to Siberia, and we're on a plane going to Siberia. <laughs> He's probably like, those stupid Americans, they don't, we don't have to worry about them, and we're taking, care of, taking over Russia, they can't even figure out where we're at. <laughs> so, anyway... I I was wondering, you ever have someone, they look at you like a certain way, like, couldn't figure out why he wouldn't talk to me after that. I I try to talk to him a little bit more, he's, ha, no English, you know, I'm like, he's probably like, you're, you're dumb. (laughs) So um, I want to talk to you, uh, so I I spent six days in Russia, we did a a, a conference for 2,500 people, and there was about 300 people, they couldn't get in the conference, and then we did an 800 person conference, Dano and I, and and they had overflow rooms, and, and we spoke to about 220 or 30 Russian leaders from all over Russia. Some of them had mega churches. It was really cool. And we did a lot of question and answer times with the Russian pastors, both in private meetings and in, in the public meetings. We, we would have question and answer times. And so that's kind of simulate this, this, um, this um, conversation I want to have with you today. Would you just grab a hand? Let's pray real quickly. Holy Spirit, we just pray for this day that you would bless this day that you would open up our hearts and our minds, and that you would give us uh, new ways of looking at um, things we already know. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Um, we were, when we were in Russia, I want to talk about the world within us. When we were in Russia, um, we've been going for a number of years, and not just myself, but many of our, our teams have been to Russia. Tom was there last two years ago and got sick on the way home. Poor Tom. And, uh, and we've been teaching them lots of different ministry. And when the question and answer time came around, it was really interesting. I found myself thinking through the things we do that we don't think about. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? It's like it comes so naturally, like we live in a culture, but we don't actually think about what we do to create the culture. We just live in it. And so we've been teaching them things like sozo ministry and things like prophetic ministry. We've done, I think, I think I've done four prophetic conferences there. And we teach them healing ministry. And when I and as they began to ask questions, I, 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 I started to realize that they have prophetic ministry, but they don't have a prophetic culture. They have a healing ministry, but they don't have a healing culture. And as they're asking questions, it began to stimulate I, like for the next five days in the questions and answer sessions, and especially in personal conversations with You know, I'd I'd be at lunch with, like, seven or eight of the pastors, and they would ask these questions, like, you taught us this, and we've been doing that, but this is the problem we're having, and I began to realize, like, we taught them ministry, but we didn't teach them culture, and they would say things like, you know, uh, like, we have prophetic ministry now, and Dano's been here, and this person, you were there, and da-da-da, and, you know, we have this person get up in in church and, and prophesy while I'm preaching, and, and I don't know what to do now, like, now, now you kind of, like, you ruined our church. <laughs> like, now I've empowered all these people to prophesy, and now they're doing these weird things, and I don't know what to do. And I say, well, when you, if to the level you empower people, you have to confront them. And they go, oh, I confront them, they leave my church. And I'm like, oh, no, you, 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 to the level you empower them, you must confront them, but you must confront them in honor, And this this is what honor looks like in confrontation. You know, it looks like you believe the best about people and you you believe that that they're good people and that they had good motives even though they did the wrong thing. They probably did it for the right reason. And and so I'm I'm talking and and one of them goes, well, I think there's the spirit of Jezebel in this woman. And I'm like, okay, well, if you name the person the name of an enemy, you're not gonna deal with her as a a daughter. You're gonna cut her off because you already named her the name of an enemy. And, and, and I, I realized, like, you know, how these are, you know how this happens, like you step back after an hour session, you go, I just explained to them an ecosystem we live in that we don't talk about. I'm not saying we never talk about it. I'm saying we don't proactively take people like, okay, prophetic culture looks like this. Because we took our prophetic culture, wherever it started, and we plugged it into a culture we already have, and it already fit into a culture but they're coming out of communism. (laughs) Are you with me? And they're very smart people and they're very diligent people, but you don't know what you don't know. (gasps) And so they're coming out of communism and they're taking ministry and they're plugging it into the way they've learned to lead in communism and they're trying to come out of communism and what they need is a completely new ecosystem. And as I'm explaining to them, so, so for six days, like it took me three days, you know how this happens, it's more like reflective. And like, you know, one night I'm laying in the hotel room and I'm thinking, almost every question I'm getting, I'm having to do this. <gasps> and I'm going, oh, that's an ecosystem. That's a cycle. <laughs> and how you know, ecosystems create culture. Right, yes. And I'm like, they don't have a culture because they don't have the ecosystem. So I'm like, oh, as time went on, I'm like, we actually live in an ecosystem. People come into our ecosystem, our students come into our ecosystem, our, our congregation comes into our ecosystem, and oftentimes they're very successful. But the question is, are they successful because they're in our ecosystem, but is our ecosystem in them? Are you with me? And so I began to think about that on the way home. And let me just say, like for instance, the ecosystem is really simple to explain in that ecosystem, everything that's sustainable, is in an ecosystem. How many of you have ever like decided to lose weight and you lost a bunch of weight by dieting and then you're getting it all back? I'm, I'm raising my hand, so yeah. And what I'm getting at is what happened. You did something, but it's not sustainable, right? Because your weight is a product of many different things, right? If you're just like, I'm just gonna stop eating. Well, that's okay, but you can't sustain that. So how many of you know that your actual weight is a manifestation of several different, several different aspects, right? And I'm I'm in lose weight mode now, but I've decided I'm not going to diet because I've done that before. It lasts about four or five months, and then I'm back to it. I'm like, okay, I need a different life cycle, I I need a different ecosystem. So I've been experimenting with things I can actually stay with, things I can actually sustain. Does that make sense? And I'm saying life is like that. It's like you can go do something, but the things that actually remain are the things that actually have an ecosystem right? And so um, I've been thinking a lot about that. So for instance, you know, humans, they breathe in oxygen, and we breathe out carbon monoxide. But how many know that plants and trees, they take in carbon monoxide, and they, if you will, give out or breathe out oxygen. And so we live in this ecosystem, and people that understand, ecologists that understand ecosystems, they're always like, you know, they get maybe under some of our skin because those of us that don't understand, they're like, don't cut down the rainforest because if you cut down the trees, pretty soon you won't be able to breathe. And, and then they're like, that beetle, you know, needs to be in that. And it's just, and, you know, we're like, no, no, no. We just want to build a house here. And they're like, well, pretty soon you won't be able to breathe in that house because it takes a certain amount of trees to have a certain amount of oxygen. To, and you get the idea. It's like we're interrupting the ecosystem. Are you with me? And so... Uh, and, uh, so whatever we cultivate dominates. Uh, here's a, a simple ecosystem uh, on the ecosystem of unworthiness. I feel unworthy and therefore I feel ashamed. And when I feel ashamed, I hide. And when I hide, I get disconnected. And when I get disconnected, I feel unworthy. And you get the idea. And I feel unworthy, therefore I feel ashamed, and so on and so forth. Why does unworthy get to stay in my life? I mean, there's a difference between I had a moment of unworthiness and I live unworthy. Why do I, why do I live unworthy? Because I actually have created a cycle that's actually, it's a life cycle, right? Um, Romans uh, gives us a really cool uh, life cycle. Uh, Paul says this, We exalt in our tribulations knowing that tribulation brings out perseverance, perseverance character, proven character hope, and hope does not disappoint. So he goes like this, he goes, tribulations bring perseverance. Perseverance brings proven character. Proven character brings hope, and hope does not disappoint because it, it's rooted in the love of God. How many understand that's an ecosystem? Yeah. What happens in tribulation? It creates, oh, sorry. Tribulation creates perseverance. What happens when I persevere? When, I'm against, when something's against me and I go, I'm staying here. I'm not moving. Well, Paul says... That if I remain immovable in tribulation, I I create perseverance. And what does perseverance do? It gives birth to proven character. What does proven character do? It gives birth to hope. And what does hope do? Hope never disappoints, because hope is actually rooted in the love of God. And I create an ecosystem. Are you with me? Now, how many of you know I create the opposite ecosystem if I, every time I'm in a tribulation, I, I don't persevere. I go, I quit. How many know what happens is I quit, interrupted the ecosystem. I don't have proven character, I don't live in hope, and I struggle with love. What did I do? I interrupted the ecosystem. I took one part out of the ecosystem. I go, I quit. I quit. Whenever there's a problem, I go, I quit. How many know I quit, interrupted the ecosystem that's supposed to prove my character, give me hope, and ultimately result in loving people, including myself. But because I go, I quit, I interrupted the ecosystem. Are you with me? And I don't even see that. I just go, I quit. But I just cut down, it's a metaphor, I just cut down a tree I need for oxygen. And then metaphorically, I wonder why I can't breathe. And it's all in, I quit. I learned to quit. Instead of, I learned to stand strong in this, in, in trials. So the question is, am I a thermostat or am I a thermometer? You know when Jesus said, if you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth? What's lukewarm? It's the temperature of the room. It means whatever the, te- whatever the room is, that's what I am. I don't have an ecosystem. I just suck off of everyone else's. I'm a chameleon Christian. I don't have a fire of my own. I just am the temperature of what everyone else is. I'm a thermometer. But how many know, if I'm a thermostat, I come in the room and people are like, oh, this room, you know, Bill talks about a lot. This, this place, this city is so dark. You know, we have you know, bigger demons than in most cities. It's like, no, I'm sorry, I'm, a, I'm an open heaven. Yeah. And what did I do? I just said, no, no, I determine the temperature in the room. I have an ecosystem. I'm not just a hot boiling pot put into a refrigerator. I'm actually got an ecosystem with it. You know what I'm saying? When we were... Uh, Starting the school ministry, the first two or three years, uh, we'd have a kind of common testimony. We'd have students who were some of our very brightest and best students, people who really, just really great students. And of course, in those days, we didn't have a lot of students. We didn't have thousands of students. So it was a lot easier to have, you know, kind of keep an eye on who's going and who's coming and how they're doing. And I remember a pretty common testimony sometimes our students would leave just on fire for God, and I'd meet them two years later, a year later, in some place we were ministering, and they'd be like, oh, disappointed, discouraged, you know? And I'm like, and you know, and I'm not talking about our students who didn't do well. I'm talking about our students who were doing well in school. And I began to think about that, and I began to think about it like this. The world's like a refrigerator, isn't it? Like the world has an ecosystem. Ephesians 2 says that, that the people who don't know God, they're under the, the spirit of the power of the air that's now working in the sons of disobedience. They're not just like, they're, they're not just like, they don't, it's not just about their free will, it's also about the spirit that is actually working in them. Are you following me? And I looked at it like this, like we were taking these revivalists, they were like a boiling pot of tea, and we're boiling them, and we're sending them out into the world but the world's like a refrigerator. How many know if I take a boiling pot of water and I put it in a refrigerator, is the refrigerator gonna get hot or is the water gonna get cold? You all know what's gonna happen, right? The water's gonna get cold, why? Because the refrigerator's plugged in and it has an ecosystem and the pot of water does not. Are you with me? But if I take the boiling pot of water and I put a burner under it, like let's say electric burner, and I plug it in and I put it in the refrigerator plugged in, How many of you know, now I have two ecosystems in conflict? I have the refrigerator, which is trying to make it cold, and I have the boiling pot of water that's trying to make it hot, and how many of you understand that I have a conflict going on? Now, if I reach over and unplug the refrigerator, how many of you know that pretty soon the refrigerator is no longer going to be cold, it's going to be, if I leave it in there long enough, it's going to be the temperature of the pot, right? What I'm getting at is this when we sent our students out they didn't stay connected. They lived in our fire but they didn't know how to make a fire and they're like they're excited they have good attitudes they're ready to go they have faith but they get out there and they're in an ecosystem but they don't have an ecosystem and we begin to realize like there are things they need some of them are like okay learn how to build your own fire and I remember Danny sharing in a leader's advance about learning how to build your own fire. But other things were like, they actually need to stay plugged in. Like, we need to create some kind of place where they can stay plugged in with each other and with us so that the refrigerator has an ecosystem, but they have an ecosystem too. Romans chapter 12. Yes, we're going to use the Bible. Some of you were concerned. You'll know these verses well. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Don't be transformed. I'm sorry. Don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed. How many know? Don't be conformed by the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to this world. How many know conform? That's the refrigerator. Don't be conformed to the world. Don't. Be the temperature of the refrigerator, but be transformed. And that word "transform" is the same word in, in Matthew 17, where Jesus went up to the Mount of Transfiguration. How many know, don't be conformed, but be transformed, be transfigured. And how? By renewing your mind. I, I shared this about a year and a half ago. You can't change your life. But if you change your thoughts, God will change your life. You can't change your life. You're powerless to change your life. But how many know that if you change your thoughts, He's powerful to change your life? When Jesus went up on the Mount Transfiguration, He glowed. And in fact, it was said of Him that His clothes were so white, it was whiter than any launder could get them. How many understand that that was not a natural thing that happened to Him? And Romans says, if you change the way you're thinking, you can have a supernatural experience. So I'd like to propose that... There is a way to alter your ecosystem. And let me just give you a few thoughts. If you want to change your life, you've got to change your attitude. That's me, you, we. If we want to change our attitude, we have to change our thoughts. If we want to change our thoughts, we have to change our belief system. We have to change our belief system. If you want to change your belief system, you have to change your thinking habits. What do you give attention to? And lastly, if you want to change your thinking habits, you have to change your will. Let me just go to the last one for a moment. We live in a world that says, what I feel is what I am. How I feel is how I am, and what I feel is who I am. I'd like to propose to you that your feelings are your slave, not your master. We live in a world that says, if I feel it, I am it. I'd like to propose it's not your wants, but your will that actually determine your future. If I want to go to heaven, how many know wanting to go to heaven isn't going to get me to heaven? Only willing. Jesus didn't say for whoever wants; he said for whoever wills. Are you with me? I'd propose that the fact that normal people have the same often. Let me just let me let me say it a little different. Oftentimes, well, let me say it this way: We all know what temptation is. Everybody in this room. Has anyone never been tempted? Has anyone like ever been tempted like there's something evil that you want to do and you know it's wrong? Has anyone never had that? You guys aren't raising your hand. You're like, has everyone been tempted before? Maybe I said it wrong. Okay. <laughs> Does everyone know what it's like to want something and will another? Has anyone ever been in it, like you're, you're working out and you want a great body and, but you still want candy? <gasps> It's not that the candy want goes away. It's that I will to have a great body, right? It's like I decide that it's not, I'm not gonna let my want determine my, what I look like. I'm gonna let my will determine what I look like. I'm gonna let my will determine what shape I'm in, not my want. And what I'm getting at is this, is that when I, some people, I think they believe like, well, well, noble, righteous people, they just don't have the temptations I have. No, no, no. The Bible says there's no temptations that are common to everyone. In other words, we don't all have the exact same temptation, but we all know what it's like to want something, but have to will another. As a matter of fact, it's that want and will thing that actually is, builds no, noble character in us. If I was in a bubble and I never left my room for some reason, let's say a medical reason, and I never was tempted with anything, I didn't have the internet, I didn't have TV, I never, it's like you wouldn't know if I was noble or not because I, it was never tested. It's in tribulation that proves that creates proven character. It's not in isolation that creates proven character. It's the it's the fact that I want it, but I will. Another thing that makes me noble. Are you following me? It's like well, I have same sexual, tra- you know, I have same sexual attraction. So therefore, I'm a homosexual. No, I'm sorry. You are not your wants. You're your will. I am not the temptations I resist, and I'm not mad. I'm not like I'm saying. We. I'm simply saying. We live in a world that says, if I want it, I am it. No, it's what I will that I am. I become what I will. Are you with me? And by the way, you know what the worst temptation is? Anybody know? It's the one you have. Everybody thinks, well, you've never had this temptation before. I know, the one I have is the hardest. You know why? Because I have it. Isn't it true, though? Yeah. I mean, you talk to someone else who's struggling with the temptation, you go, I never struggle with that. And they're like, oh, this is the worst thing. It's worse because you're dealing with it. When I talk about my temptations, I talk, I talk with the same passion. Like, I know what it's like to want to, you know? For me, I won't even tell you what I'm tempted with. <laughs> Nothing at this point, because I am a mature Christian. I am no longer affected by the elder rhythms of other people. (laughs) I need water. In Mark chapter 4, verse 24, why don't you turn there. Jesus was saying to them, listen to this, take care how you listen. Okay, that's not deep. Take care how you listen. But listen to the rest of it. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given to you besides. Okay, this, obviously none of, that, none of that verse is odd until you put it together in one context. Take care how you listen. Simple. By your measure, it will be measured to you. That's simple too. And more will be given to you besides. But what does that have to do with listening? Be careful what you listen to. One day, this is probably a year and a half or two years ago, we were building another website and we were working on our social networking pages, my team, my team. And one of my teams said, I think we should hire a consultant who really understands social networking. And I'm like, good, let's do that. So we paid someone to come in and they did a class for us. So I think it was a five or four, five, six hour class, which I was, you know, largely didn't know what he was talking about, but my team was there. So I was like, good, they know what, they know what he's saying. uh, But he started talking about algorithms, and he said algorithms are, um, sorry, he said algorithms are automated reasoning. And when he said that, I'm like clicked in. I'm like, tell me about that. He said, well, the internet, everything you do on the internet, whether you make a purchase or whether whatever you do on your social networking page, your your emails, everything you do on this thing called the internet is actually remembered. And then people who do marketing or or any kind of thing like that instead of sending like instead of sending a message out to a million people like hey would you like to buy my fishing gear they can actually they can actually go into that memory and say I only want to advertise to people who are interested in fishing. For instance my son loves fishing you get on his his, uh, his Instagram page, and he's got pictures of fish and lures and things he's made and things they do. And his social networking pages are all full of that. He buys stuff on Amazon and at different fishing sites. And what's happening is, is that he is creating an algorithm of fishing. If I, so what happens? It says, be careful what you listen to. By your standard, it will be measured. And more will be given to you Besides. What happens in automated reasoning on the internet is people who want to sell fishing stuff send you ads. They don't send them to people who don't like fishing. they send them to people who do like fishing. How do they know that? Because they watch their, your patterns on the internet. Are you with me? So how many understand that you get on the internet and you like fishing? so be careful what you listen to by your measure will be measured to you. I like fishing, so I go out and get fishing stuff. That's my measure. And what happens? Fishing ads pop up in my emails and in my, and all my social networking page. Would you like to buy a fishing boat? Would you like to buy a fishing reel? Why? And more besides. I didn't ask for that, but more came to me besides. Why? Because of the algorithms of the internet. <laughs> Things I asked for come to me, And things I didn't ask for come to me by the attraction I created. Are you with me? I'm I'm listening to this guy, and then I zone out. Because I have wondered what that verse meant forever. And I'm like, oh, I get this. Listen, be careful what you listen to. And if I listen to gossip... If, you know, if, if like, if I don't like Mary and like, oh, Mary, you know, she's just a, <laughs> other people who hear me will join me. But you know what will happen? People I never talk to. Because I create, a, I create a supernatural or, if you will, a spiritual magnet. And I actually draw people I didn't ask for, but have the same measure that don't like Mary. I attract them to me. Have you ever, how many of you have been in a church for 10 years or more? Have you ever noticed that a bitter person will come into your church? And especially if you, if you know your congregation, within a couple weeks, they will actually find all the bitter people? I mean, obviously, if they're there for years, you go, of course, naturally, they're going to find them. But have you ever noticed they find each other in very short amounts of time? Because bitterness attracts other bitter people. But let me say this, there's also a power, Deuteronomy 8.18, to make wealth, for example. How I many you know if you have a wealth mentality, you have an algorithm that attracts other people who have a wealth mentality? Are you with me? And what I'm getting at is that if you want to change, if we want to change our life, we have to change our attitude. If we want to change our attitude, we have to change our thoughts. If we want to change our thoughts, we have to actually Change the habits of what we think about. It. We talked a lot to the, uh, to the um, Russians about culture. And uh, my, the pastor who's uh, Elena's brother was here, uh, he's been here like 10, 12 times. And he would say during the questions and answers, Oh, tell him this. Tell him this thing. Oh, tell him that thing. Because he's been here in the culture. And he'd say, Explain this thing that happens. And so one of the things he would say, Explain what happens in your staff meetings. So I said, well, we have staff meetings um, every week. They last about two hours. In an hour and 45 minutes, we share testimonies of what God has done. And I started talking to him about the testimonies, the things that God has done. And then I, I explained to him that, you know, when, I, when we were young with Bill, I used to travel with Bill some in Weaverville, and Bill used to have a binder, this, this black binder. I think it was black. And I, I used to, first I thought it was his notes, but then I realized he doesn't pe- preach with notes. I'm like, what is that? He's like, oh, those are my prophecies. He took all of his prophecies, had them transcribed, and would carry, him with, carry them with him wherever he went. And he would read his prophecies while we were on trips. It wasn't uh, too long ago, we had this kind of marathon two weeks where I think we had one day off a Saturday. And uh, on, on uh, Sunday, I said to Bill, so what'd you do yesterday? On your only day off we've had in two weeks. He said, oh, I, I was uh, watching my, uh, my prophecies on video and, and audio. I was listening to my prophecies that the Lord I, <laughs> I said, you spent the day? He said, yeah, I spent the day just listening to my prophecies and watching them on, on video. I'm like, oh, I watched Blue Bloods. <laughs> and while I'm with the Russians, I'm, I'm sharing them. I said... I said, our pastor struggled with depression when he was young. So what he did to come out of depression is, he started keeping track of the testimonies, what God did, and started keeping track of his prophecies, what God promised. And when you sandwich today in between what God did and what God said he'd do, today wasn't so hard. And I began to tell, talk to them about, this is how you create a culture. Like, if you have testimonies, God's past works in your life, and you have God's prophecies, God's future works in your life, and then you look at what God's, do, what, no, when you look at the challenge that you have in your life right now, by the testimonies and by the prophecies, you know what to do, because you can line it up with what God did, and line it up with what God said, and you know where you're going to be. And so, how many know it's the same with us? Like, if my son is, you know, he's, he's, he's a teenager, he's going through some tough stuff, and you know, he was in Tom's youth group a, a month ago, and Tom said, oh, he got really touched, I just want to tell you, you know, your son was on the floor, he was weeping, God was touching him. Oh, you got a testimony, right? You write it down. God touched my son last month, he was on the floor, God was speaking to him. And then some prophetic guy, you know, came in her girl and called him out and said, you're going to be a man of God. You're going to be, you're going to pastor people. And you know, and that was three years before. You're like, I have a prophecy and now I have a testimony. So when Johnny won't, you know, he's rude to his teacher or he says a cuss word to his dad. And you're like, oh my God, what's going to happen, my son? How many of you know, it's not what happens to me, but the stories I make up about what I think's going to happen that scare me. But now I go, I got my testimony. I got my prophecy and I go, Johnny, get out of bed. You're going to school. I'm not freaking out because I know that all things work together for good in the end and I know this ain't the end because I've heard the end and I've heard the middle and I'm in the middle and I've heard I'm cultivating a culture of testimony and prophecy and therefore when I'm in the moment, I don't have anxiety because I know where I've been and I know where I'm going. I love this. Listen, listen to what David wrote. Psalms 119 verse 24, your testimonies are my delight, listen to this, they are my counselors. How are testimonies counselors? Think about David wrote this, think about David is in, he comes to the battle line and Goliath stands up just in time, of course it's all just, you know, strategically planned by God, and the giant stands up and he starts taunting the armies of God. David says, my tes- your testimonies are my counselors. The giant stands up, and his testimonies go, you killed the lion, you killed the bear. Likely you can take him. (laughs) My testimonies are counseling me. I would take that guy on. Your testimony is, you've killed the lion. The Lord has killed the lion with you. The Lord was on you, and you killed the bear. When that man stands up, my testimonies are telling me what to do. Why? Because I cultivated them. (laughs) Are you with me? Psalms 119, verse 99. That sounds like a phone number. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. Your testimonies are my meditation, so I'm smarter than everyone around me. Why? I'm not actually physically more intelligent, but I act wiser because of who is counseling me. My fears aren't counseling me. My testimonies are counseling me. Do you notice, did you ever notice that Noah did not build a boat? He built an ark. Did you know there's another Hebrew word for boat? Maybe we all thought, well, it's probably just Hebrew for boat, but it's not. There's another word for boat. Did you know that when Moses was sent down the Nile River in a basket, it's the word ark? Do you know that when Moses was sent down the Nile, It was in an ark. And do you know that when God commanded Moses to build a tabernacle of Moses, that he was to build an ark and put it in the middle where God was gonna always be? And you know what the ark was called? The ark of the testimony. You didn't get what I just said. You're like, your point is, well, you can be on a boat Or you can be in an ark, and the difference is, are you trusting the laws of physics, or are you trusting the laws of God? See, in a boat, it's the laws of physics keeping you floating. But in an ark, it's the promise of God. Are you a rainbow child, like Noah was? See, I'm a rainbow child. Now, you know that Jesus and the disciples got in a boat. And by the way, it is the Greek word boat, not ark. But I'd propose that the disciples got in a boat, but Jesus got in an ark. That's why he could sleep, because he wasn't trusting the laws of physics in the storm, he was trusting the law of God in the storm. God had already said, we're going to the other side. How many understand, he had a prophecy. He'd been in other storms before, he'd walked on the water in other storms, so he had a testimony, and how many know that in this situation, he's in an ark because He is trusting not the laws of nature, but the law of God. (laughs) That's just a good word right there. It was Noah's ark, not Noah's boat. Because Noah was trusting God for his substance. Okay, I'm almost done. Eight minutes. Joshua... Chapter 1, verse 6. You know this verse is probably well. God said to Joshua after the death of Moses, be strong and courageous. You're going to give this people possession of the land which I swore to them. Verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have success. I, I, I want to just emphasize a few things. Be strong and courageous. This is the beginning of the ecosystem. Be strong and courageous. What's that mean? That means I don't have room to be afraid. Yes. And do you understand? It wasn't a suggestion, it was a command. Yeah. Well, I feel afraid. I didn't say that you wouldn't feel afraid. I said be strong in the midst of it. How I many you know there's a difference between being fearless and being courageous? Most fearless people I've met, are they're insane. I've met a few fearless people. You probably have too. I met one who's had schizophrenia. I mean, very sick man. I, I, I don't say that in, de- in demeaning him anyway. He wasn't afraid of anything, and that was the problem. I'm saying, but courage is fear that said its prayers. Be strong and courageous, the first part. What's the next part? The next part is, very good, you should read it. <laughs> this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Talk about God's word to you. Meditate on it, day and night. Be careful to do it, and you will make, guess this, and you will make your way prosperous. Now, later on, God goes on to say that he's going to help him. But did you get this? God's teaching in the ecosystem. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Be strong and courageous. Take this book and talk about it. And, and again, it's not just talking about the Bible, this word. The word God gave you. Take the prophecies that were previously spoken over you as Paul said to Timothy and with them fight the good fight. What do I do? I talk about what God said. Then what do I do? I meditate on what God said. Then what do I do? I'm careful to do everything God said. Then what's gonna happen? I'm gonna be prosperous and then what's gonna happen? I'm gonna be successful. How many you know right there? I haven't even included God yet. You understand that God's in the, in, in, the, in the equation. I understand that. But I'm saying God just told Joshua how to create a healthy ecosystem. Are you with me? The word meditate there, mean, it doesn't mean to like hmm, hmm, empty my mind. It means to fill my mind with the deeds of God. Did you get that? Fill my mind with the deeds of God and get this. And then it says, and then the word meditate means to fill my mind with the things of God and then talk about them, sing about them, muse about them, and do them. The word meditate means all those things. It doesn't mean I get in a corner and I empty my mind. Like, what are you doing? I'm doing nothing. (laughs) Why? Well, do something. Are are you following me? It's a proactive way that I think through the works of God in my life, his acts, his deeds, his prophecies, and then I talk to myself. In fact, uh, psychologists call it uh, positive self-talk. I say, Chris, you can do this. You know why? And I do this all the time. I'll be in in my... in my bedroom or working someplace, and there's a thing going on that's tough. And how many of you know we face a lot of tough situations in the, in, the, in the position we're in? And I say, God's gonna work this out, Chris. Remember that you went through this before. Remember you, were, you went through this with your daughter. Remember what you went through with your son? You've been through this before. I'm thinking about the testimonies, the things that have happened. And remember you thought it was going to go wrong, but it went right. And I actually talk to myself out loud. I love to do it in my shop. I'm just out there talking to myself. You know, this is going to work out. This is the reasons. Remember that word you have? And I'm just talking to myself, and then I'm making action. Okay, if this is the way it was, and this is the way it's going to be, what should our action be? What should our Bethel decision be here? What should the team do about this? What, who else should we connect with? You get the idea. All I'm saying is you can win if you create an ecosystem, but if you're gonna diet, it's a metaphor. If you're just gonna diet, how many know you're gonna be back to fat again? We have to change the way we think. Are you with me? Okay, there's two things I want to do today. I've got five, four minutes. Okay, the first one is Okay, extra. Okay. The first one is this: when we were um, in staff meeting earlier this morning, and we were all praying about different things. One, one of the things that I had, I felt came to me in my in my heart this morning was that we were to pray for people that had anything wrong with their brains. And it's you know we're talking about thinking today, so if it's organic, like there's actually physically something wrong with your brain, if you have a problem with uh, you know anxiety, depression, um, you know schizophrenia bipolar, um, I mean anything like that, insomnia um, or, or there's actually something physically wrong with your brain. Um, I want you to stand up and i pray for you right now and nine years ago I crashed and, uh, and God has healed me and I always feel like where you've gone through trials you have authority and so I'd like you to stand if you have any of that going on. We're not trying to shame you. I'm probably the most transparent person in the room so and if you're watching by uh, Bethel TV, I really want to just ask you just to take a stand right now. Just even if you're in your front room or in your bedroom, wherever, just I'd like you just to physically stand up. It's, it, it, there's something about standing for faith right now. Yeah. And we're gonna do we're gonna do something really simple. And I bet you most of you in this room have probably been prayed for many times. But I do feel like there's something special about today, in that this is a. I feel like I'm responding to a prophetic word the Lord gave me today. Pray for people that have any kind of brain problem. Whether it's emotional, physical, or spiritual, I'd like you to stand. If you've stand 10 times before, what's wrong with the 11th? I mean, what's the worst that could happen? But I do feel like physical obedience brings spiritual release. And those that are watching by home, please do the same. And uh, I I just, would you just, if you're around them, I, I don't want you to stand and move around. I just actually want you to put your hand on their Uh, shoulder, or someplace appropriate, and I'm going to actually pray for them right now. So Lord, I just thank you so much that you gave us a sound mind. You said in 2 Timothy 1, 6, and 7 that you haven't given us a spirit of fear, but love, power, and a sound mind. And Lord, and I just release a sound mind to every single person who's standing, whether they have insomnia or whether they have schizophrenia, bipolar, any, 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 kind of, any kind of mental illness or brain injury or physical thing or emotional thing going on. I just release the mind of Christ to them right now, in Jesus' name. And I tell all those symptoms to be gone right now. And for your brain and your mind and your soul to be restored to God's original design. If it's chemical, if it's physical, if it's emotional, if it's spiritual, that your brain would return, return to normal, in Jesus' name. And what I need you to do is just say this, I receive that for myself, in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This weekly podcast is now being translated to several languages. Visit podcasts.ibethel.org.